What's good, everybody? Welcome to 99 Miles Per Hour with me, your host, Percy Garner, where we talk about life and sports and everything in between. All right, guys, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, if you want to have other ways of finding this content or more about me, you can find me on my Twitter. Actually, my Twitter's hacked right now, but Instagram, it's pgarner4. <laughs> and then on Twitch, it's twitch.tv slash forward slash Percy Garner. Uh, you can find me there, at, you know, just trying to have fun and hang out with people there. Uh, but we have a special guest today um, who's actually my boss. Um, he doesn't like to hear that, you know. He like he, When we go on appointments together, he's like, oh, we're just coworkers. No. You're my boss, but his name is uh, Steve Van Horn. Uh, pleasure to have you, Steve. And uh, um, I'm excited to have you on the show, and I want to get some shows under my belt before I brought you in, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, but I'm glad to have you here, and we're just going to talk a little bit you know, about, you know, how you became, um, uh, successful and, uh, you know, how you feeling today? St- still working to be successful, I guess, but yeah, this is great. Thanks Percy for having me on. This is an impressive setup you guys here and have here. I've enjoyed the first few episodes and I was thrilled to do it. Well, uh, yeah, he says you listen to it while you do some yard work. So, um, and Josh, he says, Hey, we need to brush up a little bit on our professionalism, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he was like confused the other day on the one episode like wait what, what where are we at right now because he was just you know doing yard work and he's like oh snap what, what's going on it well, was I mean, when you threw the tie on today yeah yeah i did i did well i had a couple appointments you know i had to represent comdoc uh the best way i could and krista wanted to see me in the suit percy well, looks so. sharp i look like a scrub he told me there would be no camera <laughs> and i've always been told i have a voice or a face for radio so i thought this was that's okay uh, yeah yeah I, you know i didn't you know plan this well, now you're a YouTube star, right? So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we need some video content on YouTube. But, um, but no, Steve, I wanted to have you on here just because, uh, in my eyes, you're one of the most successful businessmen we have in the area, um, for one. And two, you know, just working with you, I understand your work ethic and just what you've done to get where you're at. I mean, you started at a young age. You hear about all the sports athletes they have. You know, it's not like Tiger Woods started golfing when he was 16. But um, obviously you can't. <laughs> go into business when you're three or four like he started playing golf but um I just thought you know basically the 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 background of this podcast is I have you know people with some expertise and I know you're going to downplay yours but people with expertise I want to have them on here just to share you know what they did in their life story and you know how they became successful or as you would say still working on being successful um but uh just want to share have you share a couple things but we're going to start you know people might not know this but you grew up in Kentucky uh, you can't tell by your voice, but if you spoke to any of your parents, <laughs> you'd be able to tell. But just explain, you know, I guess, uh, you know, how it was uh, growing up in Kentucky. Yeah. Thanks, Percy. Um, and whoever decided to put you and I in a room together, <laughs> God help them, because this could go on for six hours. So just just hang out. Here. We'll have you back. We'll have you back. <laughs> and I appreciate all the kind words. But yeah, um, you know, really, I've always considered my success just a product of the culmination of everybody around me. I've had a lot of really great, great people around me. And I'll be, you know, eternally grateful to those people. And my only um, regret is that sometimes I don't take the time to slow down to just let those people know how much I appreciate um, what they've done for me and what they mean to me. So, but uh, maybe I could do a little bit of that today, Percy. So growing up in Kentucky, I actually grew up in an area called uh, Ashland, Kentucky. It's just better known. It's part of the tri-state area. If you go over the left bridge, you're in the bottom part of Ohio. If you go over the right bridge, you're in the 
southwestern part of West Virginia. Um, so yeah, everybody's got a funny accent down there. Uh, I moved here actually in eighth grade. I had to change my accent because part of playing football and stuff, when I, you know, called out the cadence, white, white, people are like, what's he saying? Is he saying wide? Is he saying, I'm like, no, I'm saying white, white. So I had to change some of that or bike. You know, I called it a bike back in the day and ice was ice. And people thought I was saying a bad word when I wanted my cold beverage. So, um, it was, it was, it was interesting, but I literally had to think about what I was saying. And for me who speaks really fast and people are going to understand that here in a little bit, just naturally, I had to start slowing down and thinking about my words and kind of change my accent. And, um, my parents even gave me a hard time about it back then. Like, why are you trying to change the way you talk? And I'm like, I don't know. It just (laughs) seems to fit in better. So maybe if I went and lived like, you know, in Jamaica for a year, I come back with a Jamaican accent. I don't know. I love that one. That's my favorite. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> it doesn't work here in Northeast Ohio though. So, um, but great people down there. Um, just really hard workers. A lot of people in the community where I grew up work for the same company my dad grew up with, which is Marathon Petroleum. Um, back then it was a company called Ashland Oil when he first started there. And they employ, you know, thousands and thousands of workers. And uh, they're a great uh, employer. My dad just retired from there two years ago three years ago now, I think, um, after 30-some years of working his way up through that company. Uh, he was extremely loyal to the company. They took great care of him and my family. And uh, all my aunts and uncles, I have a couple that I'm really, really close with. My uncle Charlie uh, was really influential growing up, just a hardworking guy, was a field service mechanic and uh, estimator for Caterpillar, for a company called yeah. Wayne Supply down there. And uh, just hard, hard worker. My aunt was uberly successful with um, several different companies, Agilent Technologies, it, got bought by HP. She worked for HP. She actually was part of the team that developed the first 4D ultrasound. So, you know, nowadays everybody goes in and finds out what the baby is and what it looks like early. She, she did that back in the nineties before it was cool. And she traveled all over the world. So she would go to Holland one week and the next weekend she'd be in Australia. And, um, she, she was just extremely successful, very professional. And then my aunt Carolyn actually worked for Marathon Petroleum too. She was, um, most recently, I think in the dispatch portion where she helped with all the trucks that refill the fuel at all the gas stations and the speedways are owned by uh, Marathon Petroleum. That's their distribution channel. And she was successful. So, you know, I just had these people that are really close to me into my Nana, who was a teacher. She was my dad's mom, who was an extreme disciplinarian. And anytime I stepped out of line growing up down there, she would whack the crap out of me with a, a fly swatter. We all know a, you needed it. A no. fly swatter. Yeah. And I remember one in particular time she was coming up with the fly swatter and the, and the actual netting piece flew off. So it was just a wire stick. <laughs> And and she didn't slow down when she knew that was happening either. So she was she was a disciplinarian. But um, you know, as a kid, you look back and you're like, man, that's you know that was tough. But I don't know that I, with my strong personality and being the type of person I am, that I would be where I am today without all of those people. They were all extremely influential in my life. And my dad traveled a lot growing up um, for marathon. He did turnarounds and shutdowns for them all over the country. So he would be in Minneapolis one week, and the next week he'd be down in. Louisiana or wherever you needed to be. And so my family helped a lot. You know, when I was there during the week, I might take a school bus to my grandparents' house or I might go to my mamaw's house, who's my mom's mom. And uh, they were the playful ones. They were the ones that like anything went. <laughs> grandma and grandma. My other grandma, Nana, she was the disciplinarian. My other grandma was like, hey, let's get out shaving cream and squirt it all over the table and draw in it. And she, she was like a hippie, which my mom is kind of like that too. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of a free spirit and just extremely loving people. And my dad's side was never more like the, hey, we're going to hug you all the time and tell you we love you. That was more my mom's side of the family. And then my family was more like the strict side. But you knew they loved you because of the way they treated you and how much importance they placed on you and always asking, you know, are you okay? What do you need? 
But um, I've, I tell you, Bruce, like, and I know your story. I listened to your first podcast, and I know you well enough personally that, like, I've always had this really strong cast of female characters around me that have kept me in line. You know, my wife mm-hmm. has assumed that responsibility for my family now, so <laughs> God bless her. She's been, we've been together now for 19 years. We were high school sweethearts, much like and, you and Krista. Yep, yep. Um, and maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, yeah. The, the females in my life have just been extremely, extremely important to me. And my mom has a couple of aunts who took interest. You know, my Aunt Susie was extremely influential. Oh, you got an Aunt Susie, too? I got an Aunt Susie, man. Oh, and man. Her and my Uncle Mark, he was a policeman. And uh, they were over in Flatwoods area. And they were just just good salt-of-the-earth people, man, that would do anything for you. Like, you just saw them living life the right way. Like, material possession stuff that mean a lot to them. They just wanted to do as good for people and they were just as pure as they get they hosted thanksgiving at their house and christmas and it was just everybody was welcome and eat everything you can and just good good people but um again between them and my my aunts and uncles on my dad's side just always had a really good example of the right way to live life they wouldn't have stole if you made them they never would have cheated they just did life the right way and i think a lot of it had to do with um my nana raising them obviously (laughs) yep yep and uh, also uh my grandfather who passed away before i got to know him but he was a military guy uh, he was in the uh, Air Force, and just growing up, I heard stories about, like, that car was never dirty, <laughs> clean at all times. Like, if there was a fly on it, you were out there. And so it's funny because you see how that, you know, translates down to your children. My dad and all three of his siblings, like, their vehicles are always immaculate, always super clean. And you're like, wow. I noticed that years at, at your house the other day. That mine was clean? Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> I like to claim that I didn't get all of those jeans, but, yeah, I think to some degree. You know, my, my Uncle David, who's married to my Aunt Carolyn, comes to my house, and he goes in my shed and garage, and he's like, you are such your dad's son. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, this is the most neatly organized garage and shed I've ever seen. I'm like, man, I feel like compared to my dad's, it's dirty, but yeah, they're all pretty strict. So, but that's a little bit about my history. Um, great people. I love the area. We relocated here in eighth grade because my uh, brother at the time, Sam, um, he actually had a developmental disability. And when my dad, um, wanted to start settling down so that he could be there for all of my sports, getting ready to go into varsity sports in eighth grade. My sister was an active athlete. She ran cross country and track and some other things in Kentucky. Uh, He said, I want to go somewhere where I can be there more during the week. And the opening they had at the time was in Canton. So we came here and um, from what they heard from the realtors and other people in the area, the best um, school for people with developmental challenges was Starlight. Um, So we started looking somewhere in the Northern Tuscarawas County area where he could have access to that school. My brother was five years younger than me, Sam. And um, so that he could go to that great school and we could live in this community. So it's funny how everything works out. But, you know, we came here for that. That's how we ended up in Dover. And as a result, you know, I meet my wife in high school. And the rest just is kind of history from there. But it's funny how, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual. I know you are too, yeah. Percy. But God puts you exactly where you need to be. And he puts people in your life mm-hmm. that you need at that time. And he's always just kind of looked over me and taken care of me and given me exactly what I need. And it's hard to imagine my life now without my wife. But, of course, without my three little boys. Yeah. And without her, there's no boys. And it's just the way it all pieces together. You know, I'm just exceptionally, exceptionally blessed. And unfortunately, we did lose my brother um, several years after we moved here. He passed away in his sleep, which was an extremely difficult point in our life. That was back in 2000. He was 10 years old. I was 15. And yeah. we had to go through that as a family. And it made us stronger. And it helped, you know, I think better connect us to God. Because as a parent now, looking back, you know, with three little boys, like I, I lose sleep at night. I'm sure you do yeah. too. Thinking yep, like, yep, yep. what would I do if I lost one of my sons, like how would I even move on? And somehow you get that strength from within, but I have so much more respect now looking back at my parents having to go through that and still raise me and my sister, like how they somehow gathered that strength to get there. You realize there's no way that happens without God. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't as a parent. Now I would lean so heavy on him to get me through that for the strength of my wife and my other two children, if something happened. Um, So it really puts you, I think closer with Christ and you start to think about, you know, life and 
how important it is and how fragile it is too. So a lot of perspective that came from my brother, but he was awesome, man. And I don't want to miss an opportunity to say something real quick about him. Um, he was just the most exceptional kid. The kid fought his entire life because of some of his challenges. And these people are special. I've always said that some of these people with developmental disabilities, they're the normal ones. They're the ones that, you know, have the right perspective and we're the ones that are messed up because exactly. we're not born into a challenge usually, you know, and some people say, yeah, but my family was poor growing up or what? It doesn't matter if you're born with your eyesight and you're born with the ability to hear and you have access to food or what. It's just so different than people who don't have the ability to walk or hear or think the, you know, the same way. So um, he was exceptional because you never saw him without a smile on his face. Despite the fact that his entire life he was in pain most of the time. He was having to go through you know, physical therapy where they were trying to stretch and get him to walk and do different things. The kid was just the most abundantly happy-go-lucky kid you'd ever meet in your life. And I would go to basketball practice and come home, you know, mad about something and see my brother sitting there smiling. And I'd be like, what the heck am I mad about? Like, are you kidding me right now? Like this kid, he's, he's the inspiration. And him and I were really close and him and my dad were exceptionally close. And of course, you know, he's my mom's son. So she's always the mama's boy, but um, really tough time, but just an exceptional kid. And again, when I look at that culmination of where I'm at my life, man, without my brother, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And he's actually buried here in Dover and over, um, a lot of people don't realize, but over the years, I've had the opportunity to relocate with Comdoc and my region's kind of all the way up to Richfield, down really far south. That's far up there. All the way out to Ashland at times, all the way to Alliance. So we can really live anywhere within that area. And my, far- my family, my parents moved back to Kentucky after I graduated high school. And my brother passed away. My sister lives in North Canton where she married um, an engineer for Bridgestone who's a great, great, great guy. Takes really good care of her and her family. Um, I've stayed here large part because my brother's here. My brother's at Dover Memorial Park up north, and I feel like, you know, that I want to be here with him. And I know that's silly, and some people probably say, yeah, that's just, you're a spiritual person. You know that's just his body, and I'm like, I know. But I I just feel like as a big brother, that's my responsibility. So I want to be here for him as long as I can. So I like that. I like that. And uh, a lot of what you said is just, it just echoes what I said in my first podcast. You know, we got the, the, the same aunt name and how they treat us. I'm Obviously, I was forced to live with them, but yeah. Uh, just to, they live life right, and it's just to makes a big impact. And then once you start thinking about it, you're like, man, all these people. And I talked about the teachers and stuff, and I, obviously the teachers you had in Kentucky were probably exceptional as well. But I know growing up in Dover, it was just it was just a it was a a whole different story for me, just because once I started thinking about it, like I, I leaned on these people more than I thought I did. But I mean, it's just good to hear your story. And I always use I'm using this podcast to get to know you know my friends and coworkers more, you know. <laughs> Because when we're, you know, obviously when we're working in the office, we don't really, you know, talk about <laughs> certain things. But uh, I did that with Jamal as well. So yeah, it <laughs> Hope takes you don't a mind. while sometimes for it to all come out. I guess. Huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but man, talking about your brother, that like when I did the challenger, um, I spoke. Well, Charlie Jones let me speak a little bit, but <laughs> I was a little nervous about giving a speech there. But he he took over the reins anyway. So, but when I talked there, there was this kid there, and it just reminded me when you're talking about your brother that. He can't. He hasn't been able to talk, but he's four, and he's able to write and read and basically get out all his emotions and to communicate. All he's four. This is this was crazy to me that he's four and he was able to do all this because I know my son's six, and you know we take for granted some of these things. But those kids, man, they were there and they were just happy to play baseball. And then me thinking about my career, there's some days I came to the park like, man, I I gotta play baseball and. Then I have to hit myself in the head, like, dude, I'm, I'm playing a game and getting paid for it. Like, what yeah, am I hey, saying? Hey, Amen. That's yeah, that's perspective, right? Yes, exactly. But I'm I'm glad you had that uh, in your life. But uh, now you want to talk about, you know, you talked up Kentucky, 
But now we <laughs> <laughs> want to hear about the real place that everyone wants to live. So, no, you, you talked about how you moved here and the reason why. And I, I didn't know that those reasons. So that's that's uh, that just shows you how great Starlight is. And um, it's crazy because Kentucky, you know, the twin, you talked about the accent and stuff like that. And I've, I've been to Kentucky, Lake Cumberland a couple of times. But that's a little further south. Oh, where okay. I'm from. Okay. Okay. But, you know, the. the the move to T County. Just talk about the differences and the similarities between Kentucky and, I guess, Dover. Yeah. Um, so Ashland's much bigger. You know, there's like suburbs. So I grew up in uh, Summit County for or Summit for a little while, and then Cannonsburg for a little. We moved a lot growing up. Um, I think I had seven or eight different houses before we moved here in Kentucky, and nobody was really running to or from anything. It was just my dad likes to move, and still to this day, he frequently <laughs> relocates his. Again, my family's never really been um, a material possession kind of family, so my dad doesn't really get attached to homes, and my mom, they're just kind of like, oh, we're ready to relocate, so we're going to look for something new, and that's what we've always done. Um, so it's just different down there. Highways take you everywhere you go. There's Route 60, and, like, it just it's different. You know, there's these little communities off the highway, but it's not unusual to be driving down the road, and you see, you know, a million-dollar home, and next to it's a trailer. I mean, that's just kind of the community that I grew up in, and that was normal to me. So to come here where we have, like, a town and everything's within our town of Dover, and all these community schools are here within like you know ten blocks of each other, and <laughs> not community schools anymore now with the grade leveling. But um, it was just different, you know, to live within a town like this. And I actually lived in Willow Glen when we first moved okay. here, so I was okay. kind of on the outsider. I didn't realize that that you know like I'm not on the parents' uh, parade route to pick you up to and from school. <laughs> so if you live in Willow Glen, you might as well live in you know Canada. <laughs> But um, it was it was great, and so got to know some of the people. You know, we were lucky at our house. We had like three or four firemen that lived right around us, and Paul Westlick, who was I think the fire chief or captain for many years, who was just a super super guy, and his wife Carla, who she passed away of cancer several years ago. Just salt of the earth people. And uh, when we went to Hawaii a few years ago, I got to see their son Zach, who's actually in the Navy, and he's uh, a part of yeah. their submarine. Corps. You know, you yeah, probably no, know, yeah, yeah. I know who that is. So we got to visit with him and his his wife, and so that was cool. But uh, we just had all kinds of good neighbors, Sue across the street. And I did her yard work and helped her out. But just, you know, instantly, I think we felt welcomed by the community. It was, a, I think, the hardest adjustment for my sister. She was in high school. It's mm, a lot harder to yeah. adjust as a sophomore mm-hmm. in high school. You know, she left her best friends that she had known since she was literally growing up. And my parents tried to help by letting them come up, you know, once a year or twice a year. She'd have friends up to stay for a week or so. But it was, I think it was the most tough for her. She stopped playing sports and, um, you know, clicks had already been formed at that point and oh, she struggled sure. to find, but she, she did befriend a couple people that she's still very close friends with today. And I'm really glad for her that she was able to form those friendships because those people meant the world to her, helping her to get through that time. And for me, it was easier um, because that's the same age where most kids who are integrating from St. Joe yeah, come, yep. come into Dover school. So I immediately befriended some of those folks. And my best friend um, in high school uh, was Matt Fondriest. Wow, a lot yeah. of people know the Fondriest family. Yep, you know, yep, they're, yep. they're like royalty in <laughs> T County, and for, for good reason, man. They are just, uh, again, probably the closest thing that I've found to Ashland, Kentucky, are just salt-of-the-earth people, man. Big John and Deb, um, just amazing, amazing people who literally will give you the shirt off their back. And for sure. No, they don't care about material possessions. There's nothing fancy about them. What you see is what you get. And that reminded me a lot of my Kentucky family. My dad liked Big John, and they befriended each other. And me and Matt were pretty much inseparable all through high school. You know, we'd go through different bouts where we'd have pretty serious relationships where we wouldn't be as close. And, uh, but it was really good that, you know, him and I got to know each other at a time where we were both coming into the school district and know a lot of people, but sports helped me connect to a lot of people because I, you know, I grew up playing sports. So 
immediately you fall into that click because as you know, in Dover, those are like jobs. Yeah. <laughs> so you're spending, you know, 40 hours a week, oftentimes with, you know, your fellow athletes. So you don't really get to choose your clicks sometimes. Yeah. You're, you're kinda, forced. <laughs> yeah. And you know, as an athlete, I mean, you fell in with Daniel and some of those guys because you spend so much time with them that you almost, it's like a marriage. Like you almost grow together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got tired of Daniel, you know, no, I'm just <laughs> Well, you know, so those are the people you experience life with. So, yep, you know, when yep. you're going out and you're, you know, you're fighting through the conditioning and going from sport to sport to get your body ready. Those are the people who understand your struggles and what you're going through and trying to academically succeed at the same time. So, you know, we always had that commonality. So I developed close friendships with those people. And, you know, like I think of like Corey Perkowski, who's, you know, just a hard, hardworking guy. And um, him and I almost would kill each other in practice going against each other. And to the point that like, you know, Mr. McCrate would have to like, Separate us. So, yeah. You two are done. You're not going. So, me and Corey were like, no, like we're going again. Let's do it again. And we'd almost get in fist fights, but we made each other better, you yeah. know, because of that. So, um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there's a lot of similarities between Dover and um, and Ashland, Kentucky. Believe it or not, as far as the way that you know, there's there's politics involved, and there's a lot of people. There's small enough communities that you know everybody. Yeah. But uh, Ashland's probably a little more disconnected. There's multiple schools there, and Dover's just a very very tight knit community. Like I feel like I know everybody. Yeah. In Dover. Well, that's because of uh, your personality. I mean, you don't stay sheltered, and you you know you talk to everybody, and that's that's uh, that goes into you know why. Do you I like became... to talk a lot? Do I talk a lot? <laughs> do I do that? Maybe maybe more than me. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, you know, your ability to talk and form relationships. What we were talking about. I mean, goes into what my next question was and my next point, and that's how you got, I guess, in the business mindset. I want to say you kind of started early. Uh, I hear stories of you, you know, selling a, a kiosk in the mall, but I, I'm, I know more about, you know, you working with uh, technology, you know, in retail and then you move to Comdoc, but you know, just talk about that, elaborate on that. I don't have to ask you too many questions. You'll, you'll spit it all out. <laughs> yeah. You don't, it's like giving a dog a bone. You don't have to tell him what to do with it. Um, so, uh, you know, there, again, the list just starts to formulate in my mind of all the people, you know, that have helped me to get to where I'm at. And I'm just so lucky. And again, I thank God every night when I lay my head down just for putting these people in my life. And one thing I always pray for is perspective, you know, cause I think if you have that, then a lot of the other things happen. Um, so I just always pray for that perspective and uh, I have a heart of gratitude, man. I've always considered myself a servant leader. So I'm here to help. And I would I hope, agree. I would agree. I hope you've experienced that. And yeah, I hope other sure. people would say that, um, but, you know, growing up, there was a, a gentleman who ran these mall kiosks, and you mentioned it, and he was the first guy that I would consider, and I hope people understand this term as a term of endearment for a good sales guy. Some people would like to use the term negatively, but a hustler. Yeah. You know, a hustler somebody who works hard at their craft, right? Yep. Like, I would consider LeBron James a hustler. The yeah, guy, for sure. you know, knows how to work. And maybe, you know, after watching this new uh, Last Dance, yeah. you know, people now <laughs> understand just how, what a hustler Michael Jordan, Jordan oh was. You gosh. know, a lot of these young guys never Animal. knew, but... He was a beast, and I was by by far one of the biggest Bulls fans ever growing up. Like, I was the loser that I think my eighth grade freshman year, I still wore Chicago Bulls sweatshirts and T-shirts to school. <laughs> and when I came to Dover, everybody's wearing, like, Abercrombie, and I'm like, nah, dude, the Chicago Bulls stuff is where it's at. I'm like, come on, man, Pippen, Jordan, Robin. So, um, but anyways, um, yeah, so Randy Meese, and he unfortunately passed away of cancer last year, which hit me pretty hard um, as well, because just an exceptional family. Um, his wife, Cheryl, and um, I knew a son who was a younger Christian a little bit, but never knew his other children real well. But he um, he was a hustler, man. The guy just knew how to work. And because of that, he knew that he would never be without a paycheck. 
you know, so he always was adapting his business model and what he was doing. And up till the day that he passed away, he was just changing things, but he knew how to, how to read people. And he liked to connect to people and he liked to find a solution that they needed and try to fill it. So in that regard, you know, you think of a hustler, somebody that maybe sold something that somebody didn't need. And that's not the case. That's not how I use the term. I think it was somebody who tries to identify the need and then fill it. Right. Yeah. And then yep. works really, really, really hard to do that. And that's what he did. So he hired myself and my sister actually to work a number of different business for him. They had a teddy stair, teddy bear stuffers business, which before Build-A-Bear was as big as they are. Cause I remember I'm yep. a little bit older than you. <laughs> um, he had these malls and one was in the flea market out in Sugar Creek. And one was um, up in um, Hartville. And we would float to these different stores and we would sell those. And he also did oh, everything from customized uh, coin banks to Christmas ornaments and bed sheets. And I just learned from him to be fearless when it came to approaching people. I would stand in a mall and he'd be like, Hey, let's talk to this guy. And he would just pull a guy over and be like, Hey, let me ask you a question. You know, how often do you change your bed sheets? Have you ever felt, you know, 400 count thread count? And he just would talk and he would find out what people liked and were passionate about. And at the end of the transaction, they'd spend a hundred bucks, you know, which was good for him too. So I learned from him and his wife, Cheryl, who I worked a lot with. And Cheryl would always tell you the funny story about the three of us were working together. It was like a Black Friday situation or something. And I always like to mess. You know me. I'm yeah, always trying yeah. to be playful. <laughs> so we were all three working together at one of his kiosks. And she, Cheryl got to this customer first and was talking to him. And the customer walked away. And she said, I walked over to her. And I was like 15 at the time. And I said, they didn't buy anything. And she's like, no, nah, they didn't buy anything. I said, I would have sold them. And I was kind of walking away. <laughs> But again, I was young. I don't remember. But Randy told that story forever. And funny enough, um, you know, when I provided my references for Comdoc, uh, when I first got hired 12 years ago, uh, Randy was one of my references. And I went in to complete all my new hire paperwork and stuff. And uh, Patty Auber, who at the time was our hiring HR lady, she goes, by the way, this Randy Meese guy, he sold you. And I'm like, really? She goes, oh, my gosh. He just kept going on and on about your character and your hustle and your drive and your intelligence. And I'm like, oh man, thanks. I'll have to send him a 50, you know, but uh, he's just an exceptional guy. So, but again, he, he passed away last year of cancer. He had fought a couple bouts with it, but just a great guy. And he helped a lot growing up and always tried to put me in positions where I could be successful. And as a result of, you know, again, God intervenes and says, Hey, I'm going to put you where you need to be through working at the malls. I got to know uh, sprint next and developed a friendship with a guy named Faye Shaheen who initially hired me as a SWAT, which is an acronym that stands for sell what's available today. So I would get assigned to different Sam's Club, Best Buy, mall kiosk. And this is, at this point, I'm 19, 18, 19, maybe 18. Um, you go and they'd say, hey, we have 15 red Motorola razors today. Sell them. And for every one you sell, we'll give you 50 bucks, you know, on top of your hourly wage. So, okay, cool. So you're motivated, right? You're working yeah, off the commission sure. system. So you'd stand there and you'd sling them all day, man. You'd pull people over. And I remember the cheesiest lines, but I thought I was like, <laughs> at 19, man, I thought I was the greatest salesman on the planet. I was like, yes, I'm so smooth. You know, I remember like guys walking by with girls and being like, Hey, is that your girlfriend? Yeah. You love her? Yeah. Yeah. I love her. Like, Oh, well, why don't you get her a red razor? And I'm like, now looking back, I'm like, that was so bad. Like I was really bad at selling stuff. Um, so via that relationship, you know, oh, I, I, I ended up working for Sprint Nextel and, they helped out with some of my education and my parents helped out with the rest, but that allowed me to graduate from college debt-free. My normal, my college Dang. experience wasn't the normal one. I was a commuter kid. I bought a house when I was 19 in Canton with my wife um, because I wasn't paying for my school between my parents and Sprint. They had it covered and um, I was making really good money. You know, I was making the equivalent of what a lot of adults were making when I was 19, 20. So my wife and I bought a house um, when we were 19 in Canton, a fixer upper and, made good money on it when we sold it. Um, but that was a, that was a neat experience. I was working 
at least 40 hours a week as a manager. I got the Fairlawn Sprint kiosk in the Summit Mall there and had to work at least 40 hours a week for them to continue to pay for some of my schooling and qualify for some of that. And a lot of weeks, though, we'd have to work 50, 60-hour weeks. And I was yeah, also... I was yeah, I had this little detour after high school where I did radiology school for a year. It just wasn't for me, and I knew it from the very beginning. I didn't enjoy being in the hospital environment. Just my personality wasn't, you know, yeah. in that environment, it's not really encouraged. You know how yeah, I am, yeah, obviously, yeah. now I've yeah. been working with me for a while. And, yeah. you know, everything there is much more HIPAA-compliant, and that just wasn't my, my life, <laughs> you know. So I, uh, I ended up leaving that program and um, went immediately into the workforce in college. So I was doing 18 to 21 credit hours a semester to try to get caught Dang. up. Okay. So a lot of people at Kent State, 12, 15. You know, yeah, Patty <laughs> and all the, the Carly and these girls that I was really good friends with, Andrea, they all, you know, they'll tell you like everybody at Kent State knew me as Sprint Boy because I'd have to wake <laughs> up in my uniform. Like I'd either go to school in the morning and straight to work or I would go straight to work in the morning and straight to school. That was my rotation for all these years, you know, for three and a half years while I got my uh, degrees, that's what I did. And my wife was burning the midnight oil and working two or three jobs as well. She was um, doing hair and she had a, a phenomenal boss up there, Joy, who helped her along the way and mentored her in her program. She's a cosmetologist for those of you who don't know. Okay. And uh, she was also helping open um, the quarry golf course. So she was up there with Gary Miller and some other folks trying to get that going. We lived in Canton at the time. So we were both working, I bet, you know, between school and work. There were, there were times we wouldn't see each other until, you know, two or three days would pass. And it'd be like, give each other a high five on the way out the door. But that also helped <laughs> to cement that, like, yeah, but I, that cemented too in my mind that like this, she can keep up with the grind. Like my yeah. wife, she knows how to work. My wife is a hundred percent a grinder, man. She works her tail off. And uh, that helps to motivate me too. Um, and that's helped her to be, you know, an exceptional mother, you know, obviously I'm biased, but the best mother that I've ever <laughs> seen and known, you know, next to my own. So yeah, yeah. she's, uh, she's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, in the few times I've been over there, it's, you know, cause obviously I think Krista's the best. Yeah. But, uh, you should, yeah, by the yeah. way, you better not say anything right now. <laughs> no, I was definitely not. I was going to say, <laughs> I could second that, that Danielle, she, um, she's a, a pretty strong, like, cause I think I talked about it. I don't know what episode it was, but the work ethic of Krista and how it kind of pushes me. And I was saying, I could see how Danielle could push you, even though that would be pretty hard. Cause I, for me, my, your work ethic is, is pretty, uh, you know, phenomenal on its own. But when you have someone else pushing you and cause it's easy, uh, the success you've had and had the stuff, it's pretty easy to just, you know what, let me chill. But I, I've never really seen you go, you know what guys, let's just chill this, this day. Or, you know, I mean, it's not like you're like, get out there and, you know, but it's just like, it just seems like, man, Steve, you know, is he, is he, tired you never can tell just what's going on you're just always you know and I'm not saying that's a bad thing like you're bottling things up but I just feel like you're always like in the mood to like let's go let's get better let's do this and you're always telling us hey you want to share something did you read a book how did you better yourself like share with the you know the group so we can help each other because obviously what we've heard your story you know exactly how effective that is so uh it's just refreshing that I, I get to work with Steve Van Horn uh, <laughs> you made me seem like a, a much bigger deal than I am again culmination of a lot of great people but you know, my, I, I owe that to a lot of people, Percy, honestly, again, you know, just to give those people the proper praise. My dad was just, he was a worker, man. I, I watched him growing up. And I think, you know, my mom was exceptional and she still is to this day. You know, I wouldn't be where I am without her love. But with my dad, it's just, um, you just watch a man be a man and you learn kind of what to do. You know, I've watched the way that he treats people around him. I've had a lot of people tell me stories when he's not around about him and what he's done for them and love that. just the amount of respect that they have for him and how he's helped them along the way and um you know that they'll never be able to repay the debt kind of thing and 
I know my dad has zero expectations because when you talk to him, you, what you have, yeah, he's just an extremely humble guy. My dad's Hot. like, no, <laughs> I love your dad. Not, you I know, love that. your dad, man. Yeah, he's just. It's, it's good though when you hear other people. Uh, I don't want to call them third parties, but <laughs> when you hear other people outside your family or outside that someone that's supposed to love your dad, you know, talk about them, you know, because me, like I said, I thought my dad, you know, he whooped me. He was, he was, he was in the military. He was super mean. And then he, my dad the, would beat the heck out of me, man. Don't get me wrong. I remember there a couple times he punched me right in the mouth, but in hindsight, I deserved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make no mistake, my dad's. You can't old do that school. nowadays, but um, he would. I can guarantee you, he would. Um, every time he did it, I deserved it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he didn't come home in a rage and just randomly do it. But yeah. you know, I crashed the car and tried to lie about it. I got socked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in hindsight, that made me not ever want to crash the car and lie about it again because <laughs> I knew I would get I would get what I deserved. So. Um, there was definitely an element of fear there, but more than anything, there was always just an element of respect. You know, I, I, I don't remember ever waking up and we had like morning plyometrics and conditioning and yep, you remember yep. that game. And so I felt like we were out for like five fifty five club early. My dad was already gone. The truck was already <laughs> out of the driveway. He was already at work. Yeah. And how I remember my dad was too. Yeah. He wasn't the guy that ever punched out early. You know, if my dad was, you know, if he got off work at five, he was home at five thirty, and that's when he got there every day. But I remember my dad coming home and he, you know, go inside and get a drink, do whatever. And then first thing he wanted to do would be go out, throw a football on the road, man. We wore out Willowbrook Drive, you know, all the cars that we probably ticked off rolling footballs and baseballs <laughs> under their cars driving through because we didn't have a flat yard. So we threw in the road, man. He would just, we would just throw and throw and throw and throw and he'd play That's basketball. Just... He stopped wanting to play basketball as much once I started beating him. <laughs> I will say he lost his passion because I think it was always more fun when he could beat me and stuff. But, you know, he always made sure I had the resources too. Like when he knew I was passionate about basketball and we lived in Kentucky, he, you know, built a garage and he put in a full court basketball hoop and it allowed all the neighborhood kids to come there and play. And I was always playing with guys older than me. And I remember in your podcast, you talked about that with Jamal, like playing with the older kids. Yeah, yeah. And that just helped me because I got used to getting beat a lot um, by these older kids. But you also can measure yourself against, you know, your progression. Like, oh, well, last time I got beat by 10, now I'm down to five and now two and Maybe every now and then I could steal a game eventually. So Yeah, because if you're just whooping on kids, you don't really see anything. <laughs> yeah, but he, my dad was never like, that we're going to spoil you like crazy guy, but he was always the, hey, you're going to have what you need guy. And my dad worked really, really hard to provide that. And again, my mom was the one that, you know, facilitated it. So my dad was the one that, you know, worked a lot growing up. And my mom was the one that was at home to make it all happen, which is kind of my personal narrative now, you know, yeah. with Danielle and I, because she does, she works a very limited schedule and she runs that household for us and does so with a iron fist, man. I could, oh, man. could not do it without her. But again, you know, my dad just, I remember I wanted Jordans at one point, right? And my dad <laughs> like subtly convinces me that the Pippins are cooler. <laughs> the Pippins were also half price, <laughs> but you know, two factors there. One, you know, my dad was selling it and I had a ton of respect for my dad. So like, oh, if dad thinks the Pippins are cool, then <laughs> Pippins are cool. So let's do it. But the main factor was they were half price. You yeah, know? So yeah, my dad wanted smart. to save the money. So yeah. at one point he had me convinced that the Grant Hills, like Grant Hills going to be better than Jordan. So like you want the Fila's man, Fila's with the reflector in the heel. Those are the cool I had shoes. those, man. You know what? So, yes, I had those. And they were cool shoes. And then like Grant Hill blew out his ankle. You know? Yeah. Well, never you never know what he was going to be, but. But that was my dad growing up. So he always had an element of salesmanship apparently but yeah uh, sounds like it that's not his game he always even going back to when i was a kid man like i remember selling boats and cars and my dad like people would show up and my dad would be like go do it like turn turn me loose so i would go out to somebody like and start hustling and my mom and dad would laugh you know i'd go out like <laughs> so this is a 17 foot uh, johnson 25 horsepower you know like just selling it like <laughs> you see the metallic paint fleck you know and so I was so cheesy back then, and, you know, over the years you refine that as you work with people around. Yeah, the for sure. Or way better, but yeah, uh, third trip, man. That's, that's hilarious. Um, now the, 
that kind of leads into your, like you've had these figures you talk about, obviously your parents, and then you've had uh, Mr. Meese and stuff like that. But then also you have uh, Pete Batista. We get into the calm doc. Peter. Yeah. (laughs) Peter was, uh, he was extremely influential and, you know, Pete and I don't talk as much anymore. And again, I know his life's busy. He has grandkids now, a a grandkid and his daughters have, you know, it's funny. Like you realize how old you're getting. When I first started working (laughs) there, his daughters were like younger than my kids are now. And now they're married and having kids. And I'm like, whoa, where did that time (laughs) go? Yeah, you old as dirt. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But yeah, Pete recruited me hard to come work for him. And uh, so after I left Sprint Nextel, I actually went to a job fair with Marathon Petroleum, was interested in offering me a position. Big base salary, you know, I was making like, and I'll tell you the numbers because this is a long time ago. So I had like a $60,000 a year base salary coming out of college. I was 22 years old. And I thought, you know what? That's good. Like I was making that with Sprint Nextel. And in a given year, I might even make more. But it was very commission driven. So um, Sprint uh, Marathon Petroleum said, hey, we're, you know, Speedway Division out of Enon, Ohio. You'll go down, you'll do a training, you'll come in, you'll have to work in the stores a little bit. And my dad helped, you know, push things through, whatever, because that's what you do. But um, I ended up taking that job, and it was the first job I'd had in a long time because, I, you know, I had all their odd jobs growing up, by the way. Me and yeah. Fonzie mowed yards and made money yeah. doing that and hustled on the side. And um, I worked at Ponderosa Steakhouse as a server. And, <laughs> and Ponderosa. But, like, everything I'd always done, kind of my work was directly rewarded for some form of commission or additional financial yeah. incentive. and. Yeah. This job at Marathon wasn't that way. And my dad kind of straight up told me, like, listen, man, there's certain things that you're just going to have to understand. This is a big organization, and it's a great company. But if you want to move up fast, you're going to have to relocate. That's number one thing. You're going to have to be willing to move throughout your entire career, which I experienced with him. I knew that was a fact. Yeah. And you're just going to have to wait your time. You know, you're going to, as long as the people around you have been there longer and they work hard, they're going to be considered for other opportunities. And I was like, no, I want to go now. I want to go 1,000 <laughs> miles an hour, man. I'm a Lamborghini. There's no rearview mirrors, right? <laughs> like, let's go. And so for six months, I took that position. And honestly, it was a great company. Again, I hope anybody that's listening doesn't get this wrong. Great, great, great company. And my family's, you know, will be forever grateful for what they did for my dad and my aunt and their careers. But it just wasn't a good fit for me. Everything's about, you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book that talks about having the right people on the bus. And then once you have the right people on the bus, you got to get them in the right seat. Is that the book you, that everyone gets? That's uh, not the energy bus. No, oh, that's a different energy book. bus. Okay, so, yeah, okay, I give okay. everybody that book because that's about <laughs> energy and passion, which, you know, Percy, that's my jam. I yes. love the energy and passion. So, um, but it wasn't a good fit for me. So, like, six months in, it was a hard thing. I and mean, I was miserable going to work every day. I hated it. First time in my life I didn't want to go to my job. And I had more free time than ever, too, to think about it because up to that point all I'd done is worked and went to school. And now I had – this evening hours to sit there and think about how I didn't want to go to work the next day. And I was like, is it, but, but then I thought maybe this is adulting. Maybe this is what it is, right? Maybe I've heard, I know these people that are 60 years old and complain about their job every day. Maybe this is what I'll be doing, you know? And, you know, again, goes back to my dad and just kind of his kind of way of thinking, man, you know how I think like, I love everybody. I don't like when my kids use the word hate, you know? And even if they say like, Oh, do you hate that guy? I'm like, no, I don't hate him. Like I maybe don't agree with him. Maybe I don't think the way he thinks, but I don't hate anybody. Yeah, right? They're yeah. we're all, you know, here for a limited time. Let's try to make each, each other's lives as fulfilling as possible. And uh, I remember um, my dad, he, he, I called him and I was nervous. And I'm like, hey, you know, I just don't know if this is the right thing for me. And what do you think? And I thought for sure he'd be like, you're crazy. You're going to leave this great career, you know, with this company that's taking it. And he wasn't. My dad's like, you know, listen, this is my career. I work here. This doesn't mean you have to work here for the next however many years. And just understand, you know, my dad was always good about kind of laying out this is what it means. You know, if you end up quitting, you might be considered unrehirable. So you're kind of burning a bridge with a very big company. And so he put it out there for me. And I'm like, I know, I understand. But then just through, to make a long story short, I ended up meeting Pete through mutual people. And um, Pete 
says, hey, I want to hire you. Come in, make this presentation to a few people who I didn't realize were really big at Comdoc at the time. <laughs> they were like ESOP, like Larry Frank and some other big wigs. So I really wasn't intimidated because I had a job. I didn't know if I needed it. So Pete's like, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, I want to throw an offer your way. I'm like, okay, yeah, great. Throw me the offer. And we met down here at Uncle Primo's and Uncle hits me Primo. with the offer. And dude, back then, my base salary, $22,000. <laughs> I was 21, 22 and already making six. So I'm like, oh, so Pete's like, call me by Friday. Well, I didn't call Pete by Friday because I was like, I was, <laughs> 22,000. Yeah, so Pete calls me on Monday and he's like, hey, um, you know, why didn't you call? I'm like, because I'm, I'm already making three times that. He's like, well, let's sit down and explore, you know, the commission structure and what this means and blah, blah, blah. And he got creative and we figured some things out and, you know, negotiated. <laughs> and at the end of the day, obviously the rest is history, but um, yeah. came on board, ended up getting the opportunity to come back to Tusk Holmes County where I could work in my first professional sales job, which was nerve wracking. And uh, my wife and I were able to relocate back here, which was good because we were starting the conversation around, you know, do we want to at some point have kids and our resources are here with her mom and grandma mm -hmm. and people like that. And she has a great family down here. So that worked out really well. And uh, called my dad and said like, here's what I'm thinking. And again, was kind of ready for him to be like, you're nuts, like 22 base salary. And I, maybe I negotiated <laughs> it up to 26, but I know he wasn't giving me anywhere near 60. Um, but he didn't. My dad's like, listen, you're going to, you're going to kill it, man. You're a salesman. I trust you. You know, you got my support and you know, just let me know what you need, which is kind of the way That's he's done everything up. in my life. Yeah. And you, I think it's good to paint the backstory too, that if you called, you know, coach Yvonne Kennel or you called Dan Eft and said like, Hey, pick Steve's dad out of a lineup. They couldn't do it. I'm confident that to save their life, they could not pick my dad up. My dad was never, the dad that like went out there and said, you need to play my son more. And now in hindsight, looking back, there were definitely coaches. He doesn't prefer. Like I would, if I ask him now, he'll say like that guy was an SOB. I didn't like him. He should have played you more. He should have played you whatever. He should have been harder on you. But he never said that at the time. Yeah. I get in the car and I'd be mad. Like, man, I didn't play enough today. And my dad would be like, then get better. <laughs> then get better. That's you're what good, you got to do. Right? Cause if you're that good, they'll have to play. You. Yeah. Exactly. So he, he never put that on the coaches and he was just, him and my mom were never the, you know, champions of the tornado club or mother's club. They were just very chill, laid back. They both worked full time. They had careers. Raising my brother for my mom was a full time career, right? Yeah. So they didn't have time to get involved and really like blaze that path for me. You know, I've heard you guys have heard the phrase helicopter parents, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah parents yeah, yeah. just like hover over their kids wherever they go and <laughs> make sure everything's good, right? We know there's a lot of those. And I'm guilty of being one of those at times, no doubt. But I've also heard this new phrase called lawnmower parents. Have you heard of lawnmower uh -uh. parents? So lawnmower parents go ahead of their child like a lawnmower would, and they bl they blaze the trail. They make sure that the path is clear, oh, okay. grass is nice and knocked down, so the kids have zero resistance their whole life. And then they get out of college, or they get to college, and they get smacked in the <laughs> face, life, you know? yeah. yeah, by life. And they're like, "Whoa, where are mom and dad at now?" Except they realize, come college, nobody cares who your mom and dad are. Nobody <laughs> cares what your dad does, or that he works here, and that he's a big wig in Dover. Nobody cares. Yeah, right. It's life now, so yeah, get to yeah. it. You know. So I think my parents helped me a lot in that regard, because I knew that they were never going to run ahead of me and knock down obstacles. It was like, Hey, you're going to have to face them. You know, again, they helped pay for my school, which I mean, how amazing is that? Yeah. And my dad helped me a little bit to get into marathon, but it was just maybe making a phone call once they were already uh, you know, ready to hire me to make sure that the wheels were greased, yep. but they were never that way. So I think that helped me a lot. You know, looking back now, I'm like, my parents let me fail. They let me fail. They let me get hit with adversity hard and deal with that myself. And you know, at the time, there were probably many times where I look back like, man, I wish they'd help me out. But now I'm like, thank you. You know, and I can't tell you how many times I've texted my dad. You can ask him personally next time you see him and said, Hopefully thank it's not. you for and next teaching time I see him is around golf. Hopefully yeah, yeah. Not. No, no, no. Yeah, he'll love the golf, but you suck at it. So don't do <laughs> um, 
but he taught me how to like frame walls and sweat pipe and him and my uncle Charlie, like they could do everything, man. And my dad used to always tell me when I was a kid that he learned it at cadet school. And I literally thought cadet school was a thing until I was like 14. <laughs> and I'm like, so when do I get to go to cadet school? And dad's like, that's just the saying, you're an idiot. But, um, it was just a phrase back then, but he could do anything and he could build. He does really beautiful woodwork now. And, uh, yeah, he did our, our car for the, yeah, the National that Solar, Derby. which was like the best one there. Right. Yeah, yeah. So he always did this cadet school. He taught me how to do so many things. So now even to this day, I'll text him like, thanks for teaching me how to install a sink. Thanks for yeah. teaching me how to cut wood and sweat pipe and fix electrical issues. Cause you know, that's helped me a ton in life, but he taught me how to do it. It was never, well, we'll just call a plumber. And even if it meant it slowed him down, he still took the time to do that. And that's something as a parent. Uh. I think about all the time now, like I could do it faster without Travis yeah, next to me. Yeah, yeah. But my son Travis, my seven-year-old, loves to learn. So I can, yeah, I can tell. From I'll slow down. I'll do it at his pace so he can learn. And he wants to get in there and do things. And I'm like, he's gonna mess it up, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> I can fix it. You know, everything could be fixed. So and uh, same thing I tell you reps all the time. You know, my my team members, I say all the time. You know, when they're afraid, I'm like, listen, you can't break anything so bad that we can't fix it. Yeah, true. So so go break some stuff, right? Mark yeah. Zuckerberg was big on that in Facebook early. He said, you know, fail early, fail often. Yeah. Right. That's a big thing that you see a common theme with a lot of entrepreneurs and really good team leaders is don't be afraid of failure. I mean, if, if you're never willing to fail, you're never going to succeed because yeah. you're going to be risk averse your entire life. Right. Yeah, I think that was a part of a lot of our business plans. Uh, I know I had it in mine. I think Kajawa had it in his, but, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, um, so the one thing I did want to get into, I don't know if we have enough time. So we we'll have to have you on here another time. Um, cause I want to get in to more nitty gritty stuff about, how we work at Comdoc, but I'm glad we had your, your backstory included because I wanted to learn more about that. And I just used this podcast to do that. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I definitely want to dive deep into just how, how we work, you know, because, you know, my wife's got to go to work, so she's blowing up my phone right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it was a pleasure having you on. Uh, hopefully you want to come back and hopefully you enjoy this. I did. And, uh, you know, you can catch this episode on a tuesday so tuesday morning is when we release our episodes and you can find that on everything google spotify you know spotify is blowing up with the joe rogan acquisition now 100 million dollar deal so oh yeah and they're gonna add YouTube video now the, yeah this is on youtube as well sorry <laughs> this is youtube 99 miles per hour with percy garner um but yeah yeah spotify is gonna be adding video soon so that's gonna be then this will be on Spotify. Yeah, video. so this will be Spotify video. <laughs> but Steve, man, we'll do a part two, and I'll wear a suit next yeah, time yeah. so that I don't look like a scrub <laughs> sitting here next to Percy with my jeans with a hole in the knee, hey, and my baseball off, tennis hey, shoes. This podcast is about being authentic, so <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're comfortable in. You know, I just put this on the show a little bit, but yeah, where's your workout clothes? What? <laughs> <laughs> I need to go do that. Oh, but I might man. be working out trying to get strong to protect myself against Krista right now. But um, but again. Glad having you on. It's a pleasure working for you, and hopefully, uh, you know, I don't mess up and I get to keep working for you. So, but <laughs> thanks, thank you. Josh. Yeah. Thanks, Percy. Good <laughs> thank with you guys, guys for listening. Thanks, Josh. We didn't have much input from you as we usually do, but maybe next time once we talk you about it. You guys are doing a pretty good job talking. So. <laughs> <laughs> Did Percy talk today? I, don't even... <laughs> I like that, though. You know? but, uh, but thanks again, and thank you guys for listening. <laughs> Got a crib out of water, say me casa, su casa, it feels like casa blanca, shouting.